Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So when I was in first grade, went to a Christian school, and we had a chapel service where a gentleman brought a replica of a knight's suit from the Middle Ages. And I have to tell you, as a first grader, it was one of the most fascinating things I had ever seen. And if you probably already have guessed that the chapel message was on the armor of God, putting on the armor of God, getting ready to do battle. And when the service was over, the chapel service, and we went our own way, I began to notice that my school's mascot was similar to a knight in armor. It was a crusader. And he was on a horse holding a long spear. And for the rest of the week, in my mind, I began to think that at some point in the Christian life, you go to battle. And I don't know why I didn't ask my parents, I didn't ask my pastor, but I one day asked my teacher, when we put on all that armor and we grab that spear and we ride that horse, which is funny because there were no horses where I lived, who are we going to fight? This was an actual question that I asked her. Who are we going to do battle with? She laughed very politely. She said, why do you think this? And I said, well, we had a chapel service where this pastor talked about putting on the armor and going to battle and fighting. And as I've looked around the school the last couple of weeks, all I see is our mascot who's headed into battle. And so in the first grade world in which I lived, I thought this was a reality. And of course, she corrected me and she helped me understand that this was imagery related to spiritual warfare. And so we see that in 1 Timothy this morning. The Apostle Paul speaks of warfare, not because it's actual physical battle. He speaks of warfare because he is using the tone of a military leader who is issuing a very serious command to Timothy. And that command is applicable to us. Not only as believers in Christ, not only as His followers, but very precisely as a church plant that's about to nominate and elect its own elders. Let's pray. Our Father, we're glad that your word is true. We are glad that you are speaking to us. We are so thankful that this is not simply a book full of stories, but it is the way in which you communicate to your people and help us to understand who Jesus is and your will for faith and life. Thank you, Lord. May we never shy away from the significance that is your word. 
Father, speak through me as I preach this text this morning. Set me aside. Father, forgive me for I am a sinner. May your word and your word only be heard. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So there are two things that we're going to look at this morning. One is fighting the good fight. And this is in reference to having elders in a church and what Paul is communicating to Timothy, who is a pastor of a church plant that Paul started. Secondly, we're going to talk about sailing straight, which is a reference to how we deal with this text as God's people. So first of all, let's let's talk about Paul's admonition to a pastor and to a church plant. If you are a visitor with us this morning, clearly you can see by your surroundings that we are a church plant. We are new. We have only been doing worship a little over a year. And we set up and take down our church and this YMCA each week. And we are a mission church of our denomination. That means that we have ruling elders and teaching elders from other churches that provide oversight and guidance for us. And there is coming a day when we will nominate and train and you will elect your own ruling elders and me as a teaching elder. And at that point, we become an official church in our denomination. Um, I often use the language with my children, we'll become a real church. Now in the eyes of God, we are a real church, but we are a mission work hoping to become a particularized church. And so when we come to this text, and in the season that we're in, it begs the question, what are elders called to do? This is something that we need to think about. You're going to nominate men for the office of ruling elder in the month of December. And so you should already be asking the question in your mind and in your heart and in your soul, what does an elder look like? Well, of course, we don't answer that question on our own. We don't look to the world for the right answer. We look to the Word of God. And I think that Paul is giving us some hints. He's giving us some clues in 1 Timothy. What does an elder do? Well, first of all, he wages the good warfare. Other translations say, fight the good fight. Paul is not saying that we take up real weapons and we enter into real battle. He is using military terminology to help us understand what an elder should do, what a pastor should do. And I believe that the reason he uses that military communication that he uses quite often in the New Testament in his writings is because he is saying this is really serious. Warfare and battle is really serious. When you turn on the news about Ukraine, you don't laugh and think that's funny that they're going through that. You take it very serious because it's warfare. And so Paul is telling Timothy that you are to fight the good fight. You are to combat these false teachers. You are to deal with them. 
2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now think about that. Paul is telling the church in Corinth, and he's also telling Timothy, that we have divine power through the work of the Holy Spirit as we seek to protect the doctrine and teachings of the church. And so the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, are called to real spiritual battle. You are on the front lines. And there's nothing that our adversary would desire more than to see a new church, in our case, fail. Remember, in 1 Timothy, he's writing to a new church as well. And so you are going to nominate and you are going to elect ruling elders who will enter into spiritual battle, who will fight for this church, who will pray for this church, who will make sure that we uphold the Word of God, that we are serious about the gospel of grace, that we are serious about prayer, because they understand what is at stake. They realize what is at... They realize what's going on in our society and they understand what the Word of God says about the multiplication of churches and the expansion of the kingdom of God. That this is not child's play. That they're not a board of directors guiding a business. That they are not a board of a nonprofit and they hope to make good decisions so that this nonprofit will serve their community well the men that you will elect and we will ordain as elders who will hopefully join me as a session, that we will take this spiritual battle seriously. Because Jesus Christ and His name is serious. So not only are they to fight the good fight, but... They are to cling to their faith in Christ. The New Living Translation says, cling to their faith. I love that expression. It's a bit different than the ESV which we read earlier. They are to be obedient to Jesus in life and doctrine. You are wanting to nominate, you are wanting to elect men that when you think about them and you think about their spouse and you think about their family, if they're married and they have children, you are thinking in terms of obedience. Do they love Jesus? Do they fall down at His feet? Do they cherish Him? Do they hold tightly to the Word of God? Do they understand that they're sinners saved by grace? Do they realize that the word that most people in our society need to hear, that all people in our society need to hear, is the grace of Jesus Christ, His love, His compassion, His mercy. Several years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor and they were interviewing men for the office of elder. And he was talking about the vast difference between two candidates. He said that one came to be interviewed by him and 
some of the other elders who were already on the session, and he spent most of his time talking about how he was qualified and how he was ready and all that he had done to make himself an elder and how he met all the qualifications that you see outlined in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus in particular. And then the second man came in to be interviewed, and all he talked about how he was unqualified and Jesus was everything. That he was a sinner and Jesus was perfect. That he was ungracious and Jesus was gracious. That he was unloving and Jesus had loved him and straightened him out and turned him around. And that for him, Jesus was everything and he was nothing. Who do you think best understood what it meant to be an elder in the church of Jesus Christ? The one who thought he was qualified or the one who thought he was unqualified? And I say to you, it's the one who thought he was unqualified. Because he had a proper and he had a deep and he had a real grasp and understanding of who Jesus is as our Redeemer and our Savior and our Messiah. that hopefully for our elders and hopefully for me, Jesus will be everything and He will guide all of our decisions in the way in which we shepherd this congregation and the way in which we attempt to take care of you according to the Word of God will be all about King Jesus. And so we look for men who will love the church, who will serve the church, who cling to their faith in Christ. And then notice also in your passage this morning that I think Paul is saying that elders wage the good warfare, they cling to their faith in Christ, and also they protect. Now if you look at verse 19, it says, Holding faith and a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. Verse 20, among whom are Hominius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. Now we're not overly sure who Hominius and Alexander are. We're not overly sure what they have done. But what Paul means by handing them over to Satan is that they have disciplined them in the name of Christ and removed them from the church. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy is, as the pastor of this church plant that I have started, it is going to mean that at times that you exercise church discipline in order to keep people from making a shipwreck of their faith. You have to protect the church. Church discipline is something that is not believed fully by most churches in our culture today. I would imagine that if you ask many of your church friends, they would say that that's not biblical, that it's mean. To remove someone from the church, that's not fair. You're not being gracious. You're not being merciful. And let me tell you, as a pastor who has led a church who's been an assistant pastor at a church. I've seen church discipline. It is hard. It is not easy. It is challenging. But I do believe that it's biblical, and I believe that it protects the church. We live in a dangerous and a stormy world. 
we live in a problematic age. And the church is a glimpse of the kingdom in our, our world. The church is not perfect because we still live, as I've mentioned in the past, the already, not yet. The kingdom has come in part. It has not come fully. The church is where we see the kingdom, but the church is full of sinful and broken people, and the church still lives in a broken and sinful age. But the church is where Christ is made known, the Word is preached, it is where we pray to our King, it is where we partake of the sacraments, it is a glimpse of that coming kingdom, and we are called to protect it, to guard it. And this is a foremost responsibility of the elders of the church. John Calvin, the great Reformation reformational theologian has said there are three reasons why the elders of the church exercise discipline. Number one is to protect the public honor of Christ's church. In other words, there are things that we believe are true and are right and are biblical and we believe that there are things that are sinful and when sin takes place unrepentant sin. It is the responsibility of the church to address that because we are protecting the public honor of Jesus' church. Secondly, we preserve the innocent. There are those who are within the church who have not sinned, who have not erred, who have not turned their back on God, who are not unrepentant. And it is our job as elders to remove this dangerous influence from the fold in order to protect the church of God. We will not tolerate this. This is sinful. And we are seeking the preservation of the church. And thirdly, and most importantly, I believe that we exercise church discipline as elders in order to bring someone to repentance. Again, I've said that this is tough, it is hard, it is difficult, it is challenging, but it is beautiful. It is beautiful when people run back to the church and they say, you're right, I am sinful, I have been unrepentant, I have transgress the word of the Lord. I have hurt my church. I have hurt my family. I have hurt my friends. And I want you to restore me. Because we have a Savior who restores. We have a Savior who loves. We have a Savior who is gracious. And when we exercise this discipline as elders of the church, we are desiring and wanting and praying and pleading for this person to come back to the cross. Come back and be healed, and be restored. That is our aim. That is our goal. And so as we think about who our elders are going to be, as we begin to pray for the men who will be elected as elders, we need to ask the question, are they going to protect this church? Do they cling to their faith? And are they willing to fight the good fight? Is this who I am nominating? And this is this who I'm elected? I'm elected. But then there's a second question that we can ask of ourselves. If this is criteria for being an elder in the church, then it's something that I should strive for. 
I should be willing to engage in spiritual warfare. I should cling to Christ. I should be obedient to His Word. We want to sail straight. We don't want to make a shipwreck of our faith. And so we see in our text, if you will look at, excuse me, if you will look at verse 18, in accordance, well, excuse me, that by them you may wage the good warfare, verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience, right doctrine, right living. That is what we should be seeking as God's people, that I have right doctrine. And that I live in a manner that is pleasing to God and accordance to His Word, to His law. That this is something that we should all be desirous of, not simply the elders of the church. And so how do we go about having right doctrine and how do we live in a way that is honoring and glorifying to God? And there's three simple ways. First of all, so that we do not make a shipwreck of our faith, we use the Word of God as our navigational tool. That it is everything to us. That is the rule for faith and life, as the Catechism says. That the Word of God is our guidance system leading us through a very challenging storm leading us through the highs and the lows of life that surely we will all face. What does God have to say through King David? What does He have to say through Paul? What does He have to say through the writings of Moses? Lord, I want to know Your mind. I want to obey Your will. This is setting the course for me. Not only for my elders, but for me. And then secondly, that we call on the fresh winds of the Holy Spirit to lead us. I met with a group of pastors this week. We are all of the same age. We've all planted churches and we get together to pray with one another and encourage one another and to share ideas and, and so forth. And one of the men raised the question, what's the most interesting thing that you've learned in the last five years? He's been through a very difficult season in the life of his church that he started, and he said, and he's right, is the under, underestimation that I have in the power of the Holy Spirit. You may think that, but know that your pastors think that as well, that I am not fully dialed in to the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of my church and in my soul. So if we want to sail straight and we don't want to become a shipwreck of faith, yes, God's Word is our navigational tool, but the Holy Spirit, are, the Holy Spirit serves as the winds that blow into our sail and move us along in our faith journey. We call on the Holy Spirit. We trust in the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Holy Spirit, God, I need your power. Because it's really hard being a mother. It's really hard being a businessman, a father, an employee. Life is stressful. It's tempting. It's sinful. I need your Spirit at work in me, guiding me. And then third, so that you don't end up on those rocks, a busted vessel. You need to turn the wheel over of your ship 
and give it to Jesus. Let Him be your pilot. Let Him be in charge of your ship. You are only going to make a mess if you think it is about you and that you are in charge. And see, we see a beautiful trifecta of help that is work here in this passage. God's Word, God's Spirit, Jesus the Son. Turn to Him. Submit to Him. Give your life over to Him. Let Him be in charge. Otherwise, I promise you, and I can guarantee, you will end up on the rocks. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, You are great and You are wonderful and You have a plan for this church plant and we are so gracious that You have brought us along the way, that You have guided a small group of people through COVID, through a difficult time, through financial struggles, through building struggles. So much, Father. And every step of the way, You have led us. And we know, God, that as we think about and pray about nominating elders that you will be with us through that process and through the training and the election, Father, that you desire what is best for us and may we look to you and may we submit to your will. Father, none of us wants to make a shipwreck of our life, of our faith, and so help us to look to Your Word and to look to Your Son and to pray for the help and the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit as we navigate these high and dangerous seas. Lord, be with us. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.